You see that stupid number in your checking account? It's called wasted potential. Now I'm gonna let you in on a little secret about something called the portfolio. And it's not gonna build itself, okay? Without you, it's just another number on a screen. Like a jungle full of bananas and no ape in sight. Well, I'm gonna take you to that jungle. Because in the case of these portfolios, it is gonna be up to each and every one of you. My speculative degenerates, my apes, and of course my apets, who will not hit the cell until your account either flies or flops and dies! Welcome back to Always Picking Electric Securities. It's your host, Alex Marku, and today is February 18, 2022. Now, I'm not going to lie to you all. I think I was a little bit in over my head when I started this podcasting thing and tried to air out three episodes a week. But I don't mind doing the podcasting stuff because I do like the way it makes me think about the markets. Because now instead of just diving into a stock pick off of one or two articles on a gut feeling, I actually have to dive in and do a little bit of research so I actually have something to explain on this podcast aside from just I like the stock. And with all this being said, I know for the past month or so I've been slacking on episodes. So in order to avoid the slack on these episodes, I'm going to be viewing this podcasting thing more as a hobby instead of a little part-time job or gig that I made it out to be when I first started. And the way I'll be doing this is simple. I'll just be airing out one episode a week, and I'll be aiming to do it on Friday. This way, I can keep up with news that's happening in the stock market and any other market throughout the week, and on Friday, I can create an episode for it. Now as time goes on and I get more free time, maybe I'll expand back to those three days a week. But in order to keep this going, because I really do like this as a little hobby, I'm going to be airing out only one episode a week, that way I can keep myself on top of it, and this way I can try and avoid these long hiatuses I've had, especially the ones I've had recently where there's a gap of at least a week or more in between episodes. And now what my plan is for today's episode is to keep things short. So I will be going over my holdings and everything I have in this apes portfolio. Then I'll be talking about GameStop and Immutable X, and they just had a partnership that they released earlier this month. I'll then talk a little bit about the stock market volatility you may or may not have been paying attention to this month. Then I'll introduce a new little ending segment on the investing section, which is where I'm going to be talking about my personal holdings. Now you'll see how this goes throughout the episode, but it's something I decided to implement. This way you can kind of see what I do behind the scenes as well, not just on this podcast. And then to wrap up the episode, I'll be diving back into my sports picks that I made a couple weeks ago, and then giving you a slate for this upcoming week. Now it's primarily going to be based around soccer, Because the NBA is having their all-star weekend and, well, there's not going to be games for a couple days. So thank you for tuning back in and I hope you enjoy the episode. Financial Disclaimer. Since this is an investing podcast, I will give out the disclaimer that everything I do on this podcast has the potential to reach 100% loss. Alright, welcome back my apes and retail investors that think alike. Before I dive into my talking points for today, I wanted to give you a recap of all the holdings I have for this apes portfolio. Because it technically is the first episode of the month, 
and I'm sorry for that, it took me 18 days, but now at least I have a plan in place to avoid these long hiatuses for the future. So the very first episode of every single month, I'll be giving you a recap of all of my holdings. And as of this Friday's close, my securities section is valued at $538.31. The cryptocurrency segment is valued at $195.77. And then my gambling segment, which I'm the most proud of so far for this podcast, is valued at $635.50. This puts my total valuation for this portfolio at $1,369.58. And because I've been putting $100 at the very end of every single month or beginning, whichever one you want to view it as, I have put a total of $1,300 in this portfolio and mostly carried by my degenerative gambling picks, my total portfolio is up 5.3%. But now let's dive into the real fun and see where I'm sitting with all of my positions because this is gonna show you the true numbers. For my securities department, all of my stocks right now are basically in the red. Well, except for one. So let's start off with the first stock I referred you to, which was GameStop. Now, I remember buying this around $202, I still have my one share of it, and because it's sitting at $121 right now, I'm down about 40% on it. Still gonna hold strong, I'm not too worried there. Moving on to the next stock I'm holding on my list is Super League Gaming. I have 50 shares of those, and it cost me about $131 total, and I'm down 16% there. Now three stocks that I'm primarily holding just for speculative reasons or meme reasons if you will are Centro Electric, Costs, and the ADGI stock. Now in all of these I'm down pretty bad. For my Centro Electric company I have the 11 shares and I'm down 61%. So remember how I said sometimes companies that do reverse splits might not actually be doing too well if later on the stock price keeps crumbling down? Well, that's exactly what's happening with Centro Electric. So eventually, they're going to be bankrupt, is my opinion. But I'm still going to hold on strong and see if maybe we can get out of this 61% hole. My next meme stock won't seem like it's doing as bad because it's costs, and I have six shares of those, and it's only down 17%. Now, the ADGI stock I bought was that one therapeutic company that fell for almost absolutely no reason, and, well... It turns out that they keep falling, because I have 5 shares of them, but I'm down 34% with that stock. So, so far I've given you 5 stock picks, and if you would have shorted them the second I gave out these stock picks, you would be making some nice money, because I'm down in every single one of them. But, I haven't sold, so I never lost a thing. The one stock I'm green in, fortunately for me, is the computer share stock. And luckily for me, my computer share stock is up 21% and I've got 5 shares of those. Now my plan for all of these positions is to be holding them, but if at some point I want to sell off one of those meme stock or speculative stock stuff, I'll be making the announcement on a Friday, and then the following week I would be getting rid of that said stock. So another good thing about following me, if you at least follow my stock picks, is you know you can't possibly get rug pulled on because 1. I don't have that kind of money, and two, I'm literally telling you what I'm going to sell. So if you wanted to rug pull me, you could just sell the day before. So five out of the six stocks I have are pretty much down 20% or more. And then the one stock I have that's in the green is up 21%. 
Now clearly for my stock investment choices, I didn't time it correctly, but as long as I hold on to these stocks and invest in the ones I believe in, in the long run, I'm sure it'll even out and maybe even get me some nice gains. Now one thing that can help me get those nice gains is the $123 I still have left over in cash for this brokerage account. So at least I have $120 to work with in buying power for stocks. Now moving on to the options contract I have, it's the Super League gaming call that's going to be expiring in about two months. And the call is set to hit a strike price of $7.50. Unfortunately right now, Super League gaming is at a current price of $2.20. So I need about a $5 increase in the next two months if I want this call to be worth anything. Ah, and if you wanted numbers on that, I spent $50 on that call, and it's valued at $5, so I've essentially lost 90%. But don't worry, these percentages I'm about to give you from the cryptocurrency segment is going to make you think that my stock investments are genius picks. Because, well, I'm looking at it, everything is down. So, I'm sorry, I must have told you to buy at the very top. I guess that's just what happens when you start a podcast on investing. But nonetheless, because all of these assets, if you can call them that, are in Coinbase, I'm not even going to be thinking about touching the sell button. I'll just be holding off until these percentages are plus and at least in the triple digits. But just for fun's sake, I'll let you know right now, my Bitcoin holdings are down 34%, my Ethereum holdings are down 43%, my Doge holdings are down 50%, my Cardano is down 31%, my loop ring is down 58%, my bat token is down 43%. So there's that. But I'm definitely not worried at all because that's about $300 or so of chump change that I know at some point is going to skyrocket to the moon. And I have $50 left over for cash to just play around with this crypto market. And since I now am not tied to the leashes of Coinbase anymore, as soon as I find a fun project to invest in, Trust me, I'll most likely pick the top, and that's when I'll tell you to buy. So now, after you've listened to me talk about how I'm down pretty nicely in my stock investments, and even more so in my cryptocurrency segments, you've got to ask yourself, how the hell are you up 5% in your overall portfolio? Well, this is how. I gamble too. Because my gambling account started with $250, so I swear, for every dollar I've lost in stocks and crypto, I've made up in my gambling account. Talk about a great hedge. And although my gambling segment or little spreadsheet portion isn't as sought out, I can definitely tell you which portions of my gambling units are most profitable. Because I have my gambling picks set in three total segments. I either do round robin betting, which is that odd gambling system I've been telling you about where I make like eight or seven picks and then it creates two parlays for every single pick I made. Well, that's one segment. The other segment I have is a regular bet log. So this regular bet log is for any teasers I make or any singles picks I make. So when I told you to make like a $20 bet pick on a specific team, that is a single and that went in the regular bet log. And the last segment I have for my gambling segments is the parlays sheet. Now, you could argue that the round robin betting is parlays in itself, but I wanted to separate the difference in this because my parlays sheet are ones where I specifically pick out three team, four team, or even just my two team pick parlays. 
So this way, I'm able to keep a track of which one of my gambling segments are doing better. And you know what's great? All of them are in the green. My round robin betting has netted me a positive of $120. So for every stupid round robin bet you hear me make, when I go 50%, less than 50% or so, and I make this much money and just barely any money sometimes, well, over the course of all of them, I've made $120. And I've created about 38 total round robin bet slips. Talk about a degenerate. Now moving on to my regular bet log, which is primarily carried by that one 10-team pick NFL teaser I won once, I have a total net profit of $170. Now that might be a little bit misleading because I had a bet slip that won me $250. So as you can tell, I haven't been doing the best as of late, but for betting, it really doesn't matter how you're doing as of late. I had one bet pick that won me a lot, and now I have a lot of leverage to just keep chipping away at that money and seeing if I can get another big winner. And then finally for the parlays segment, where I just create two team, three team, four team, or even more outlandish parlays, my total net profit in that is about $95. So honestly, that's not too bad, because most of the time when I make these parlays, they lose out. But whenever I have one that wins, sometimes it can make up for about 6 or 7 lost parlays. So now I'm hoping you can see where I make my total Apes portfolio valuation look good by having it at 5%. But if you were strictly investing only in stocks and cryptocurrencies that I give you and not betting with me, well, I can tell you that you're probably a little bit mad at me because you're definitely in the red. However, on the other side of the spectrum, if you've said... F this kid and his stock picks, I'm just going to be making his gambling picks, then you're definitely thanking me because I've already 2x'd and about to 3x that money. And if you've just been chilling, listening, then cool. I hope you're learning something or at least learning what not to do. Or maybe you're just learning how to get things started. Regardless, I hope you can take away from some of these experiences and stories that I share. Because if you can learn from my mistakes or even learn from what I did right, then that's all this is for. So there you have it, a not so quick recap on all of my holdings for this portfolio. Now the next things I wanna quickly talk about for the investing segment today is just about GameStop's partnership with Immutable X and just talk about a little bit of the market volatility that's happening and my two cents on what might be happening for real behind the scenes. And now I'd first like to start off with talking about GameStop's partnership with Immutable X. Because on February 3rd, just 15 days ago, GameStop announced that they partnered with Immutable X to create an NFT marketplace. And they have about $100 million put into the development team fund for this project. Now before I dive into why this actually is important and an awesome stepping stone for GameStop, let me do a quick brief introduction into who Immutable X is. Because Immutable X, just like Loopring, is a layer 2 protocol for NFTs on Ethereum. So Loopring is a layer 2 protocol for just trading cryptocurrency coins, like an exchange, on Ethereum. But Immutable X is a layer 2 protocol for just NFTs. So I'm hoping you can see how this is pretty cool. Because I didn't know about Immutable X until I heard about GameStop's partnership with them. But this is amazing. Because NFTs and the reason it's so difficult for regular people like you and me to get into NFTs is these huge gas fee charges. And if you want to create art 
and maybe even upload it or see if it has a utility, you might have to pay an upfront cost. And a lot of this stuff can be very costly and you're not even sure if it's going to work. So that's why people don't even start. They're deterred from the start. GameStop, in my humble opinion, and not so humble, is going to find a way to onboard all these people into the NFT marketplace. And I'll explain in a little bit why I think this might be good. For now, let's jump back to Immutable X. Because aside from knowing that Immutable X is a layer 2 protocol for NFT on Ethereum, we know that they're also based in Sydney, Australia. And what's so great about this company is they focus on carbon neutral blockchains. So if you've read anywhere by mainstream media or seen an article out there linking how cryptocurrency is actually bad for the environment because of the carbon emissions on the trading blockchains, well guess what? GameStop partnered with someone that doesn't do that. Because there's ways you can make these transactional trades without having to harm the environment for extra resources pulled just to run the electricity sometimes on these blockchains. So how do they do that, do you ask? I have zero clue. But I do know that they use carbon-neutral blockchains like Trace and Cool Effect. So if you want to look into Trace and Cool Effect blockchains, you can look in for yourself and find out what it is exactly they do to emit these carbon X take. And now I won't be 100% sure with this next statement. I'm pretty sure the way they could do this is if they just used water power or like that steam pressure power from volcanoes or whatever to run their blockchains. So instead of just using regular electricity. At least that's what I think they would do to make it carbon neutral. I don't know 100% and I looked into it, but I wouldn't understand it. Because I'm about to tell you some more things I don't truly understand, but this is also another huge thing on what makes Immutable X stand out from any other NFT market provider. Because like I said, they're a layer 2 system. So this means that if you were to buy and sell NFTs or even make NFTs on this Immutable X project, guess what? You would be paying literally 0% gas fees. Or it'd be 0.03%. Regardless, that's a lot better than the gas fees you're going to be paying right now on a Layer 1 system. And the way Immutable X is able to do this is by using something called a Starkware system. Now, I'm not 100% sure what this all means, but Immutable X uses something called a Stark X Zero Knowledge Proof technology. And what this does is it rolls a hundred to thousands of transactions into one Ethereum one. So it's almost like if every transaction made on Immutable X got put together in a little block. And then eventually when the block gets big enough, an Ethereum transaction is made. Now here's where things can get a little bit cool. Because even though you're using Immutable X, when you're trading that Immutable X block on Ethereum, there actually is a carbon release if you want to think about it. There's a carbon footprint Immutable X would have created. So what do they do? They use trace and cool effect to find a way to offset this footprint. Now, I know it's not much by just saying that, but think about it. If we want a future where companies start thinking about you, an individual, and protecting this environment, you got to start investing in companies that do the little things. And this, ladies and gentlemen, in my opinion, is the little things. What other company makes transactional block trades and then finds out the carbon footprint they have and then omit it? 
willingly? Probably a very few amount. An immutable X is a cryptocurrency coin that you can actually invest in. So if you really see some value in this kind of project, it's about a $2 to $5 coin right now. Well, right now it's about $2.90. But the coin hit about $5.40 after the GameStop news came out. So the fact that it dropped down back to $2 something shows you where the true valuation of a partnership with GameStop really is valued for this coin, $5. So my biggest takeaways from this Immutable X, aside from just another company that GameStop has ties to in Australia, because they also use the transfer agent computer share, which is also in Australia, is that Immutable X is essentially just your OpenSea version of buying and selling NFTs, but this time, whenever you buy and sell it, you're not going to have a hefty gas fee associated with it. Just how I transferred my shit from Coinbase to Looperings Layer 2 system, not really, but on a personal level with my own money, I showed you, or at least explained to you, how the fees on that trade was 0.3%. And the fees for Coinbase are roughly maybe 4-5% at the minimum. So that just shows you how I'm actually trading on a decentralized exchange, which is just Loopring Layers 2 system. Well, this Immutable X is just the exact same thing Loopring is, but now instead of trading coins, you're trading these NFTs. And you're doing it with transactional fees of 0.3% or less. So it's not like when you go onto OpenSea, which I have done, and buy an NFT for $50, and then you wind up spending $40 or so on the gas fees. This means you spend $90 on a $50 NFT. And if I want to sell it, guess what? The gas fee is probably going to be $30 to $40 again. So now I need to start accounting into that if I want to start actually profiting on this. Do you see how it could be a little hard with the spread? Well, not on a Layer 2 system where the fees are 0.3%. And that's all I have left to say on Immutable X. But I'll be diving in some more, and maybe we'll look into adding this coin's project for this portfolio. So now back to my talking point of how this Immutable X partnership is actually going to help GameStop and the clear indicating sign that GameStop is giving all of its shareholders, at least in the direction it wants to go in. Because GameStop has said that they are going to be offering the grants, the $100 million worth, for any NFTs that are created for gaming purposes in Web3 and the Metaverse settings using this Immutable X as a partner. So what this means is that anyone out there in the world that wants to work for Immutable X or GameStop to create NFTs has about $100 million grants that can be given out to them if they produce something of utility. Do you see how incentive has been created? And GameStop just let us know at the very beginning of February about their partnership with Immutable X for the NFT marketplace. But they're not set to launch this project until the very end of the year. So they're just letting you know. They're letting us know. The shareholders. The diamond-handed apes. That as long as you hold this through, you will see your NFT marketplace that you have been asking for. And it's going to be easy to use... And whenever someone thinks about creating something NFT related, they're going to first think about GameStop and then they're going to onboard with us. So I obviously think it's huge news that GameStop partnered with Immutable X, not just because they're a nice carbon neutral 
blockchain company, but because they create such an easy system for creating NFTs and selling them on a layer 2 system with nearly 0% fees. And not only did GameStop just open their doors for the NFT world, but they also opened the doors for future gaming projects. Because I'm about to dive into what cause at least NFTs can have in the gaming world. You can attach causes for NFTs to anything. Just right now, it has a bad image because all you're ever going to think about is a JPEG or a JPEG that has slightly flashy colors. But now let me ask you this, and bear with me and try to open your mind while I talk about this. What do you think skins are in a game? Or even DLCs? Or certain animations that you can buy? Maybe even in-game musics? Well guess what? This is all some kind of property that someone owns. Now if you're buying it off of EA, guess what? EA owns the property. So you're not ever going to likely ever touch what's considered as an NFT, or this fungible token if you will. But imagine if you could buy a skin in a video game and then resell it on a secondary market. Do you think that would be awesome? Because traditionally speaking, it's the gaming company that has the rights to these NFTs. And they're not going to resell it. They're just going to create a new game, and then they're going to make you buy that new game, and then you're going to buy the DLC, the new skins, and all this new shit because you couldn't transfer over all those skins from the previous game to this next one. Why? Because you never owned the rights. You only paid for something. You paid for a small sliver of fun. And that's it. You didn't pay for property, and that NFT that you bought is not yours. So now if you want to have fun with the skins and all this stuff you buy in-game, guess what? You gotta spend all that money all over again in the brand new game coming out next week. Sounds pretty shitty to me. And if you play video games, you probably felt that to your soul. Do you really think these video game companies give a shit if they produce quality content? No. They want to monetize on all of their customer bases. And how do you do that? You make games that are pay to win. Not earn to win. Not play to earn. Nothing like of that sort. It's just if you have mommy and daddy's credit card, you can swipe away and have some of the coolest shit on Fortnite, have the coolest blades on Counter-Strike, or whatever you want. All of these games eventually become pay to win. Why? Because monetizing off of customers is a lot better of a business model than actually giving them a good game. And me personally, well I can't wait for that stupid game to stop. Which is why I think Immutable X and GameStop's partnership can derail the future for these stupid legacy titles and everything attached to it. Because who's really going to challenge you if you create the newest version of a football game and you call it I don't know, Alex 11 instead of Madden, and now I have a football game plays just like Madden, has better animations, and it's play to earn, not pay to win. And guess what? I decided to launch it on Immutable X, which is a layer 2 platform, and you can now buy this video game and own it yourself, and then you can resell it on a secondary market. Maybe I'm 10 to 20 years ahead of my time, or maybe I'm just speaking like a lunatic. But I honestly think the NFT marketplace has a huge potential 
because as soon as you stop wrapping your head around these as JPEGs, you can see that these can literally be attached as movies, music, games, and it can just be sold to the public like any other thing out there. But guess what? The money inflows are different. Now it won't go through a corporation. Now it's going to go through the creator. Do you see why NFTs have a huge potential? At least that's why I think they have a huge potential. And not just that, but I'm kind of hopeful for that kind of scenario. I'm hopeful that at some point in the future, people are able to create work and actually get rewarded for it for the efforts they put in. Not create work for one company who then tries to go around all of these loopholes and establishment stuff just so they can get more than their fair share to give the creator less than what they deserve. And really what I'm just saying is taking all of this money inflow through all of these great projects out there and instead of going through centralized units, you're going through decentralized units. Imagine what the first NFT movie will be like. All of the actors will be under a certain contract, where maybe as soon as the movie is set, for every person that purchases the movie, let's just say, well, now the money gets rerouted to those actors. The money is not going to go to, I don't know, Disney, who then gets to keep that money because they already paid the actors during the filming of the scene, and it was before any of these numbers came out. Do you see how that seems a little unfair? Imagine if you made a blockbuster movie only to make 10k as an actor. When the movie is still making millions, you aren't collecting a penny off of that movie. That's why I think this NFT marketplace has huge potential, because there's more than one story of what I just said. And it's happening around the world because the greedy are getting greedier, and very soon, they're going to show their little skins. And as soon as they do, holy shit, God help them, because they are so fucked. There's so little of them compared to how many pissed off people there are in the world. And if you don't think this NFT marketplace is real, well, sorry to burst your bubble. But three years ago, the NFT marketplace had a valuation of just under $10 million. And then during 2020, which was our pandemic year, the same NFT marketplace grew to $95 million. And then you want to know what happened last year? when everyone started hearing about NFTs and this Bored Apes collection and all these JPEGs and stuff? Well, while everyone was making fun of all these stuff and how you can just right-click and screenshot and blah blah blah, guess what? The marketplace valuation went from 95 million to 25 billion. So that's like if you churned 1k to 25k in one year. And we're still at the very early onset of this, where people are just creating great and beautiful art along with JPEGs that get sold. But let me tell you a quick little secret. These JPEGs that are getting sold for millions aren't necessarily being sold for millions or bought for millions by different people. Because let me give you an example. If I'm a really rich asshole, you know what I can do? I can put four NFT collections out there. I can buy two of them and I can keep trading two of them back and forth with myself, consistently raising the price so it looks like the NFT that I have, at least the collection, is raising in value. My hope is that some dumbass buys the other two so I can then just make money off of those. Because in reality, I'm just trading my own money with myself, trying to scheme someone else into it. This is where the NFT marketplace can run into the wild, wild west, and you can get scammed big time. 
But at the same time, there has been some tremendous artwork I have seen in these NFTs. And honestly, if at some point in the future, you're able to transform an NFT to an actual portrait so you can hang it up on a wall like true art, then this is the future of art. And I'm going to tell you that right now. And art can already be expensive in itself because it's objective. So a $25 billion valuation for this NFT marketplace, which is just artwork so far, I think is still in its infancy because we haven't even touched videos, music, or anything of a utility source yet. And I'm not here to try and convince you on why NFTs are the future for the world. I'm just here to try and convince you why a partnership with GameStop and Immutable X is a very bullish thing for a gaming company to do. Now for my next talking point, it'll just be really quick and it'll be on some of the market volatility that we've been experiencing. Because I remember talking about the tapering down and interest rate hikes that will be happening, so the market is kind of acting upon on those. But aside from that, I think I have my own little tinfoil hat theory and I have a certain day and three stock examples I can give you to try and prove this little tinfoil hat theory without doing really any real research because the markets aren't transparent enough to really get that research yet. Maybe in 15 years when 80 quarters of something expire, we can actually get this financial information. By then I'll probably be dead waiting. But something very fishy happened on February 2nd in the after hours market. And the three stocks I'll be using to explain these examples from is Meta, which is Facebook, Amazon, and Snapchat. Now, it's not just these three companies or three stocks that have experienced volatility because there have been numerous stocks that have been jumping up and down 20%. It's not only because it's earning season when you're getting a lot of companies earning calls and people are trying to figure out if this year after a pandemic year it's still good to invest in them, but it's also because it's coinciding with all of this interest rate hike talk, all of this bearish news about a Ukraine and Russian war, inflation consistently increasing, and all this stuff. So you're having a lot of bad news enter mainstream media, and now if you have a company that reports their earnings a little bit below average, well, some investors might take out their money, because a lot of people are seeing a bearish market. I'll tell you right now though, you should stop thinking about being a bear because the Rams won the Super Bowl. And I would have brought this up in my sports segment, and I will bring it up in my sports segment. But I want to bring it up here because apparently there's a stupid tracker. And that stupid tracker is that when NFC teams win the Super Bowl, the S&P 500 has actually outperformed versus when AFC teams win the Super Bowl. And guess what? The Rams were an NFC team. Now, how much better is this? Supposedly, when an NFC team wins, the S&P 500 performs about 13 point something percent. But when an AFC team wins, it's about 10%. Also, if you look in the chart, most of the green years have been when an NFC team wins a Super Bowl. Most of the bad red years have been when an AFC team wins a Super Bowl. So for any gay bears out there this upcoming year, I suggest you stop holding onto your wallet's cash and just put it in the S&P 500. Maybe at the end of the year, you sell because you don't know who's going to win next year's Super Bowl, but you do know who won this one. 
And now sorry to have veered off topic because I do have to get back to those three stocks I wanted to talk about and the very fishy things that happened February 2nd. Now some of these companies had their earnings calls like Facebook or Meta if you will. And after their earnings call, their stock dropped from $320 to $240. Yes, that's about an $80 drop or 25% of the stock fell in after hours. So this just means in about a two to three period time. That's insane. You want to know why they fell? Because they've had no growth in users for the first time ever recorded. And they've been known to make the little complaint that TikTok is finally offering some very incredible competition to Facebook's users. Aside from that, they also have to deal with the whole Apple privacy issue. Can you imagine that Facebook is no longer making money because Apple is keeping your information more private? Gee, who would have fucking thought? But nonetheless, the stock still fell 25%, which adds to another case of market volatility. Now, the next stock I want to talk about which is very interesting, was Amazon. Because Amazon in the after hours, which is a $3,000 stock. So this company doesn't move a lot. It doesn't move $100 in a day. These $1,000 company stocks, if they have a $100 day movement, that's huge, okay? If just a $100 swing. Well, in the after hours, the stock fell from $3,000 to a low of $2,770. So this stock fell about $230 in just the time span of the after hours. That's about a 7% drop. That's crazy. And then before I move on to what happened for February 3rd and 4th, because that's where the real fish starts to stink, let's move on to our Snapchat stock because that's the third one I had on my list. This one, well, this one also fell. This one went from $32 to $24.50. So I understand that Facebook Meta had their earnings call, but Amazon and Snap, they just fell after hours for no reason. And then the following day, because this happened in the after hours, the following day, which was February 3rd, all three of these stocks were down in the red big time. So pretty much if you would have had this stock and bought it, let's say February 2nd, and you didn't pay attention to what happened after hours, you would have woken up the next day being down 25% in Facebook, 7% in Amazon, and down 25% in Snapchat. And that's just overnight. Now are you ready for the fish to really stink? Because for Facebook, not much has happened. It actually continues to keep falling down, and it seems like it's getting pile-driven. But Amazon and Snapchat, what happened to you guys? Because on February 3rd, they were down, right? February 4th, do you want to know what happened? These stocks jumped right back up like nothing ever happened. Amazon went from $2,770 to $3,100. Yeah, that's almost a $300 increase. But what's crazy is that before this huge drop, it was valued at $3,000. So essentially, it gained $100 on its stock price while also dropping nearly $300 in between the sandwich. And then what happened to our beloved stock Snapchat? Because it fell 25%, right? It was at a valuation of $24.50. Well, that same day, February 4th, it rose up to $38.80, nearly 46%. So here's what I'm really curious about. If you were to remove 
February 3rd as a trading day and line up these charts, you would think there was a continuous uptrend. You would not have noticed anything, right? But if you add in this date, you would quickly ask, wait, what happened there? Why is there a fat dip that occurred for just one day? Well, ladies and gentlemen, here's what I think. I believe someone was on the bad end of a deal for this. And we didn't really get to see what happened, but there were some liquidations from some hedge funds. Because who else is able to drive the price of Amazon to be dropping $300, 7%? And on the same day, so not even different days, you also have Facebook drop about 25%, and then you have Snapchat drop about 25%, and these are just three stocks I picked out of the basket. The whole market was red. I'm pretty sure I checked that day just for fun. There were only 19 stocks in the green. Pretty hilarious stuff if you ask me. But I seriously think there were some hedge funds out there that got margin called on certain securities. And guess what happens when you get margin called? You have to liquidate and sell everything. So this is what I think happened. On January 2nd, right before the market closed, certain hedge funds realized, holy shit, this is our last day of business. Then the after hours hit and they had to sell off all of their security positions to cover whatever short positions or whatever losing positions they had, right? They got margin called. So what did they do? They sold all of their Snapchat-like, all of their Amazon, all of their Facebook stock because they needed that liquidity. They needed that cash to cover their losses, maybe even go bankrupt, but they needed to pay it. So what happens out there in the real market? You have Facebook, you have Amazon, and you have Snapchat dropping tremendous amounts all in one day. And then what do you think happens? Well, the next day, these big managers and big hedge fund people that know they're on the winning side and have all this capital say, let's wait until the after hours and we're going to swoop up all the shares that they had to sell because they were on the losing end and now we can add to our big voluptuous tummies and put some more shares in our little piggy bank. Because if you were to ask me, it just doesn't make sense why certain stocks fell that much for just one day only to rebound the very next day. Other than there were certain hedge funds or companies that just got liquidated. And by getting liquidated, they dropped the actual market price. But then the market price got swooped right back up because, well, those are valuable shares. So that's my little tinfoil hat theory on what happened. But in all reality, I don't know the true answer. What I do know is that Facebook's earning call definitely onset its large drop, but aside from the other stocks, I can't really tell you. It is earnings quarter, so I can definitely see how there's a lot of tension in the air and maybe if one stock falls, it merits for another stock to fall. But I'm just letting you know how I see it. Something seems fishy. And now before this segment's over, I want to introduce a new idea, which is my personal investment portion. Now, for this personal investment portion, what I'll be doing to wrap up every single investing segment is I'll be giving you at least a little inside scoop into what I'm thinking with my personal investments. So the best way I can do this, in my opinion, is just to let you know how many brokerages I have open, maybe some of the tickers I have, not every single thing, and at the very end, I'll let you know the total amount I have in my equity in all of these investments. 
Maybe not the cost basis necessarily for all of them, but maybe this way by sharing my personal investments along with the apes portfolio that I'm keeping track of, you'll be able to kind of see how I think about things. Because on a personal level, I'm a little bit more lenient with my money. And with this one, well, I feel like I'm kind of trying to guide your money. So I definitely don't want to just blow it. Even though it seems like I have for my stocks and crypto segment so far, trust me, those are going to go up sometime in the future. So just hold on strong if you're holding on to those. So now for starters in my personal investments, let me fill you in with the fact that I use five or I have five different brokerage accounts open for stock investing. And the five I have is TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, Webull. I have Robinhood, but I literally blew through all my money on that, so I'm canceling it out. I have Chase, U Invest, and then I have ComputerShare. ComputerShare, I guess you can think of more as a transfer agent, but they can act as a brokerage. And for my cryptocurrency segment, well, I have about five different ways I can acquire it or store it in wallets. And the five ways I have there is Coinbase, my Binance account, my MetaMask account, the Loopering Layer 2 protocol I'm using, and the Ledger Nano X wallet. Because on my Ledger Nano X wallet, they use a Ledger Live system, so I can technically buy coins off of there with a credit card. I normally don't. I just like transferring coins over there, but it is an option. Now, I'm hoping your first thought isn't, holy shit, I have to be like this guy and open up five different brokerage accounts and five different cryptocurrency exchanges. Because you don't. Definitely don't. It's actually going to suck soon because I have to do taxes and I'm going to be doing all my taxes. So that's going to be rough. But what I can tell you is I did all of this just to kind of get a rough take on what works and what doesn't and which systems I like best and which ones I don't. So in terms of stock investments, if you're curious where I sit with them, I actually like Fidelity as a number two because ever since I opened up this TD Ameritrade account, I've noticed that they actually offer a lot more. So if you're ever looking into opening up a brokerage account and you're not sure who to go with, I definitely recommend TD Ameritrade or Fidelity. Those two are very good options. Robinhood and Webull are pieces of shit. I wouldn't put your money in there unless you just want to gamble it away because they're going to be selling all of your transactions to higher orders and then those higher orders can just short the shit out of your stock. So there's that. Um, my Chase U Invest account, I would say is a 50-50. I mean, it's very boring and monotonous. So if you want to invest in something that looks boring so you're never really checking the screen, then I say go with your bank's investing method because they all offer brokerage systems because at the end of the day, these big institutions just want you to park your money with them. Now onto the cryptocurrency portions. I really can't vouch for what brokerages are the best because I honestly don't think any of them are. But if I had to choose one brokerage that I would have to buy consistently from, it would be Binance because at least they offer a pretty low fee on transactional trades and their fee for sending out coins is pretty lenient. Like it's pretty fixed and it's not too bad. Coinbase by far has been one of the worst brokerages I've ever seen in my life. That's all I'm going to say on that one. So now that you know that I'm just a degenerate and complete because I just open up all these accounts and put money in it and try and flip it and all this stuff, let me tell you some of the positions I'm holding just so you can get an idea for how much money I put into some kinds of positions. For example, in my Fidelity account, 
I put about one grand each into the computer share foreign stock and into the computer share ADR stock. So this means I have $1,000 in CMSQF and $1,000 separately in CMSQY. Now, if you ask me why, the only real answer I'm going to give you is I was curious if there's any difference. So I decided to put $1,000 in both. Now, some other stocks I have is about $500 or so in the ARK K fund, which is the ARK Innovation Fund. I have about $300 or so dollars in the shitty Starbucks company I worked for because I know that they just have caffeine rats that are always going to be going for their product. I've got about $300 worth invested of my own money in Super League Gaming as well as for this Apes portfolio. And then aside from that, I just have about $100 to $200 or less scattered in just random penny stocks like a degenerate. But where my true money is stored, or at least a majority of it, is in GameStop because I've got at least about 60-something shares. And my total cost value, I don't know, but it's somewhere in the 10k range. It's approaching 10k, actually. Let me rephrase. It's between 8 and 10k. I will say that with fair certainty. But with about 60 shares or so of GameStop, that puts my total equity just in GameStop at about 7 grand. So definitely have a lot of my money parked in there. Now, I was also lucky enough and a degenerate enough to put about two grand into Doge at about the five cent mark, and I just kept averaging up and averaging down. Um, and right now, I would have looked really smart had I sold, but we don't do that here. So I'm definitely holding that, and I put about, yeah, two grand into that. So for my personal holdings, a lot of my beliefs are in GameStop. Doge and computer share if you're going strictly based off of my money. But with this apes portfolio and this podcasting hobby that I'm doing, I'm going to be definitely breaking down my financial picks and stock investments into a more strategic manner. And I'm hoping that by breaking down my personal portfolio, just little bits of it here and there, and my apes portfolio, that you'll be able to at least help yourself when you decide to trade on your own you'll be able to maybe just listen in on some of these stories and be like, huh, that kid did that, let me not do that. So in total, my complete stock valuations are valued at about $16,500. Now I'm not going to tell you the cost basis for all of these stocks because I still have to track it completely. But I will be fair in saying that I'm in the red because I know my average for GameStop is right around a 150 and 160 mark And since it's trading well below, I can tell you that I'm in the red. But I'm not worried because I know GameStop is definitely going to reach a new all-time high at some point in the next three years. And as soon as it does, this will all be worth it. And I'll finally have enough money to blow it all in one degenerate pick so I can make my nice fame on Wall Street bets. I'm just joking. In reality, I'd probably sell about 5 or 10 shares. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, to afford a down payment on my house. If not, then I guess I'll just have to earn the down payment with my own money and keep investing in GameStop until this shit eventually pops and makes me and all the others invested in it financially free. So that's going to be it for the investing segment today. Thank you for listening, and I know it went on a little bit longer than normal, and there was probably, not even probably, most definitely more rambling But I'll be here to talk about anything stock, 
crypto, sports, and gambling related every Friday from here on out. So thank you for tuning in, and until next time, ape out. Welcome back, my sports degenerates and anyone that just likes to tune into this part of the sports gambling segment. Are you ready to find out how much money your boy made on the CONCAFA World Cup qualifiers and some NBA action like two weeks ago? Because I know you've been waiting in anticipation for two weeks. <laughs> no, but seriously, I actually made a killing on him because almost everything I wanted happened. And I'll be diving into those picks real quickly as soon as I let you know what my plan is yet again. And this probably won't be the last time I'm doing something like this for the sports gambling segment. Because I do realize now, if you heard earlier in the episode, you're saying, wait, if you're only doing one episode a week, how are you going to be accurate with your sports takes? And the truth is, it's going to be really, really hard. But I've decided I know how I can at least do this in a way where you can keep up with me and see if you want to follow my picks. Now, whatever I say on this podcast, and you'll see how it goes on in the future, will be set in stone, at least with the picks. But for the lines and stuff, I might not know. So, what do I mean by everything I just mumbled and jargoned about? Well, what my plan will be for the sports gambling segment, since I only have an episode on a Friday, is to look at the slate ahead for this upcoming week. So let's use today for example. I'll be looking at all of the games the next upcoming week, all until next week Friday, which is February 25th. And what I'll be doing is I'll be making certain selections in teams I like, and then if you actually want to keep even more up to date with it, I'll be uploading my picks on my Twitter feed. This way, if you want to know what the lines are and exactly what I'm betting, you can get the actual real information there. Now, my Twitter handle is MoneyMarku, so that's capital M-O-N-E-Y, then capital M-A-R-C-U. So just the M's are capital, at MoneyMarku. And I know I've said you won't need to follow my Twitter to actually keep up with my transparent picks for the gambling segment, and it'll stay true. You won't need to. It'll just be easier to see what you're gambling on if you're trying to keep up with the gambling segment with me. I'll still be making my picks, and I'll still be saying I like favorites and underdogs and all this stuff, but now I'm just really making myself a tougher challenge because I have to basically guess games out a week ahead, whereas when I had more episodes, I only had to do two days at a time or three days, which wasn't too bad. So thank you for bearing with me if you're still listening to the sports gambling segment, and if you're following along with my picks and fading or following, I hope you're making money. Although if you've been fading me, I don't know if you've been making money. And now that I'm hoping I made a little bit more sense of how I hope to run the sports gambling segment, at least for now, until I change it again, I want to dive into my picks I made, which was about two weeks ago. But believe it or not, February 1st, the very first day of this month, I had a bet slip for basketball. Now for this bet slip, I wound up picking the Heat because they were underdogs and the Nuggets because they were underdogs. And then I had the Bulls needing to cover an 8.5 minus spread. The Warriors to cover a minus 2 spread and then the Suns to cover a spread of minus 6. Now I made a round robin for all of this and it made 10 parlays and I don't know if you remember but I put $5 risked on every single round robin parlay it made. 
Now, unfortunately for me, my two underdog picks did not win. The Heat actually lost by four, and the Nuggets lost by 15. But the Bulls, Warriors, and Suns were all able to cover their spreads respectively. So I went three for five in this bet slip, and I only profited about $5.50. So not too bad, but I risked $50 just to make $5. Here's where things get juicy. Not juicy, fucking awesome if you ask me. Because I also made the following day a round robin of the Concafo World Cup qualifiers, baby. And trust me, I don't know what it is with soccer, but I feel like at least from a betting stance, personally speaking, I can tell what's going to happen more often or not in soccer matches than I can for football or NBA action. So I definitely love betting on soccer. And this bet slip right here is about to prove why. Because I created a round robin of Costa Rica to win, USA to cover a spread of minus one and a half, Canada to win, and Mexico to cover a spread of minus one and a half. Now, because there were only four picks I created and I wanted to make parlays of two, it only created six parlays. And I risked $10 on each six of those parlays. So what that meant is I risked $60 for this round robin. Well, you want to know what happened? Costa Rica won 1-0, USA won 3-0, Canada won 2-0, and Mexico won 1-0. So unfortunately, Mexico wasn't able to cover their spread of minus 1.5. They needed to win by two goals. But guess what? Three teams covered. Do you want to know how much money I made by risking $60 on a four-pick round-robin slate? I risked $60, went 3 for 4 in my picks, and I made $65.59. So I essentially doubled my picks by going 3 for 4 with this round-robin slate. Are you guys ready to hear the best part? Because I remember when I made this pick, I said wouldn't it be awesome if every single team I picked just won? And I made a 14 pick parlay of that. So I chose Costa Rica, USA, Canada, and Mexico to win. Now, I know I told you at the time the odds were plus 683, which meant if I bet $10 only on it, I would win $68. Well, here's the thing. When I actually put that bet slip in, the odds raised to about plus 700, which means some of the lines must have changed. And that just happens because lines change every now and then. But guess what? That exact scenario happened. So when I risked $10 on Costa Rica, USA, Canada, and Mexico to win, not only did I put my balls on the line for my own round robin bet slip to literally be correct, but I doubled down on a parlay. And by risking $10 on that, I made $70.47 on just that 14 pick parlay. So by risking 120 total dollars with these three separate and individual bet slips, I profited $140. This means I got my 120 back that I threw in there and I made 140 on top of it. Pretty awesome shit if you ask me. So let's just wait for some more soccer action, baby. And we don't really even have to wait because we've got some this weekend. And next week, we've got the UEFA Champions League going on for Wednesday and Tuesday. And now for this weekend, I'm going to be picking action from the Bundesliga, the La Liga, and the Premier League. Now, for the Bundesliga, I like Bayern Munich to cover a spread of minus 3.5. It might seem hefty, 
but they're coming off a disappointing tie in a UEFA league, and I think they're going to be a little bit pissed off, and they're going to look to strike. The other team I like in the Bundesliga is Borussia Dortmund to just win, because they lost last week, and they're definitely eyeing Bayern Munich, who's sitting at first place very easily right now. So in order for Dortmund to keep up, they need to rack up wins, which I think they'll pull off this upcoming weekend. The last team I like from the Bundesliga is RB Leipzig. Now there's no real analysis on that pick, so I'm just going to say I just like the team. Now I'll be moving over to La Liga. And in La Liga, I like Real Betis, Real Sociedad, and Barcelona all to get wins. Now they don't have to cover any spread, they just have to win. I like all three of those teams to win against whoever they're playing. And then the final league I'll talk about the teams I like is the Premier League. Now in the Premier League, I actually have about five matchups that I like, and the first one's going to be West Ham to get a victory. I also like Arsenal to cover their spread of minus one and a half goals, so that means they need to win that by at least two or more. I like Liverpool to cover a spread of minus two and a half, and then I like Manchester City to cover their spread of minus one and a half. And then the last team I like in this slate is going to be Chelsea to just get a win. So they don't need to cover any spread, they just need to win. So now that I've given you the teams I like from each league, let me tell you how I'm going to be structuring these bet slips. And if you can't necessarily follow along, don't worry. I'm going to be posting the exact bet slip I have off of my bookie onto my Twitter feed. So if at all you're ever curious on what the hell I'm actually doing or what these bet slips actually look like, just feel free to hop on because I'll start posting them on there more religiously and I'll keep them up there for future references. But for now, let me give you the first inside scoop to it, because I'm going to be making three separate parlays for the three separate leagues I just displayed. So the first parlay I want to create is the Bundesliga parlay. And for this parlay, I'm going to be having Bayern Munich to cover their spread of minus three and a half, Borussia Dortmund to win, and RB Leipzig to win. So that I'm going to be placing $10 on. And if you're curious about the total winnings, well, it'll be listed on the bet slip. Right now, I haven't put the bet in, so I'm not sure what it is. The next bet slip I want to create is a La Liga parlay, and this one involves Real Betis, Real Sociedad, and Barcelona to win. I'm going to be risking $10 on that three-team pick parlay. And then finally, the last one is going to be one of the Premier League, but I had five selections on this slate, and I don't want to make a five-team pick parlay because that would just be nuts if I hit it, and I'm just going to be picking three teams just to stick true to the three-team pick parlay I have going. And the three teams I feel the most confident in, if I were looking at it, it would be Liverpool to cover their spread of minus two and a half, Manchester City to cover their spread of minus one and a half, and Chelsea to win. So all three of those I'm going to be putting in a parlay, and I'll be risking $10 on it. Now, so far, I only have $30 risk going into the weekend, and I think that's pussy shit. So, we're going to be creating a round robin for the same soccer leagues, but this time we're going to be having mixed pickings, if you will. So, what do I mean by this? I'll be making 7 picks from all of the slates I just gave you, and I'll be putting it in a round robin slate format like I have been doing. And the picks are just going to be put in parlays of 2. So, what are the picks? From the Bundesliga, I like Bayern Munich to cover their spread of minus 3.5 and, and Borussia Dortmund to win. From the La Liga, I like Real Betis and Barcelona to win. And then going over to the Premier League, I like West Ham to win. I like Arsenal to cover a spread of minus 1.5 and, 
and then I like Manchester City to cover a spread of minus one and a half. So those seven selections will be put in a round robin bet slip of mine. What I'll be doing is I'll be risking $2 each on each parlay created, and since it creates 21 total parlays, that's $42 risked. So for my soccer leagues, this weekend, I'll be risking at least $72 on the three-team pick parlays, three of each that I've created, and the $42 risk round-robin bet slip I have, which will be creating 21 separate two-team parlays of all the seven picks I just made. But the fun doesn't stop there, because this weekend, aside from some soccer action, we've also got the NBA All-Star game going on Sunday. And honestly, by looking at the rosters, I think it's going to be a blowout by Team LeBron. Because, I mean, I did this last year, I thought Kevin Durant knew how to pick a team, and I put my money on them, and I'm pretty sure they lost big. This year, I think it's going to be the exact same story. LeBron is just really good at knowing how to put together a team. Kevin Durant is just a really good shooter. So he's probably going to pick people that are really good shooters, whereas LeBron is going to pick people that complement a really good team. And the spread right now for Team LeBron is set at minus 5.5. So this means that if Team LeBron wins by 6 points, they would cover their spread. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be putting a single bet slip on this. So we're not going to be relying on other teams to do anything. We're just going to be solely relying on LeBron and his squad to carry the load for us. And I guess this upcoming Sunday, I'm going to be trusting Team LeBron to win by at least 6 points. With $50 on it at least. So let's go LeBron. Let's go get your, uh, what, 30th win this year or something? Regardless, I'm going to be the world's biggest LeBron fan on Sunday. And now is where I guess you get to see how real of a sports better I am. How well do I know sports? Because I might not, but I'm going to be making some picks that are going to happen in about five days, six days, and seven days. So maybe there's going to be a trend I find out later on that it's better to fade the picks I give out the later they are. For now, I'm just going to hope that I know what I'm doing by giving out these future picks, very future picks. Starting off with the UEFA Champions League, because next week for Tuesday and Wednesday, we're going to have games being played for the UEFA Champions League. And for those of you that aren't sure what the UEFA Champions League is, it's essentially a miniature FIFA version of the European Cup. So basically all of the European nations that qualify for this get put together in groups just like you would in FIFA, and then the top two teams for each group move on to the round of 16. And now what you're having is you're having each team play two legs. So the way soccer works for these tournaments is each team gets a home game. So let me give you one game slate that already happened, which is Real Madrid and PSG, Paris Saint-Germain or something. So essentially, PSG played in Real Madrid the first game. Now PSG managed to get a goal in the very last minute of like the game, so they were able to go up 1-0. Now here's where I'm going to be getting with this. The first game was played in Real Madrid. The second game is going to be played in Paris or wherever PSG's home is. So the two teams play a game and then you get the aggregate score. So the combined score of the two games. Whoever leads the aggregate score moves on. Now things get really weird if it's a tie on an aggregate score. 
because then you're going off of away goals. So let's put it this way. PSG has one away goal on Real Madrid. So here's where things can get interesting. If the game is finished tied at 2-2, who do you think would win? Because you would say, oh, it's an aggregate score. Let's just go to extra time. But you would be wrong because in the first game, PSG scored one and Real Madrid scored zero. So the aggregate score was one nothing. Now, if the final aggregate score finishes at 2-2, that means the final score for this PSG and Real Madrid game would have to be 2-1 Real Madrid. So if Real Madrid goes into PSG and manages to win 2-1, the aggregate score might look like it's 2-2. But Real Madrid has two away goals, while PSG only has one. And you know what would happen in a situation like that? It wouldn't go to extra time. Real Madrid would just move on like they had won the game. So you might say that's unfair, but that's just soccer. And honestly, I kind of like that whole rule because at least both teams get to have a home game. This way, you can make an argument that the better team truly moves on. Because if you score more games away from home, then that just means you were better under pressure in the opponent's home field. And you deserve to move on if you scored more goals in your opponent's home than they were able to score in your home. So I guess that's how it works. And now that you're a little bit filled in on some soccer knowledge, if you even care to watch soccer here in America, you definitely know what to root for and what to watch for. And I'll let you know what my picks are for this upcoming UEFA Champions League games. I'm going to be choosing Chelsea to cover their spread of minus one and a half. I like Juventus to get a win. And then I'm also going to be choosing the underdog Manchester United to get their win. Now, I honestly hate Manchester United. And every single time I bet for them, it bites me in the ass. But bear with me. And I honestly think that the fact that they're at home and they have Cristiano Pinaldo or Ronaldo, whatever you want to call him. Uh, I think they're going to be able to pull through. At least I hope so. And their odds are looking really nice because they're sitting at plus 200. So you essentially double your money if you bet on them and win. So I'll be sticking with Manchester United, even though it's bitten me in the ass in the past. And then the final team I like for the UEFA slate this upcoming week, because there's only going to be four games played in those two days, is going to be Ajax to get a win. So I like Juventus, Manchester United, and Ajax all to just straight up win, and then Chelsea to cover spread of minus one and a half. What I'll be doing, since this is just a four-team pick situation, is I'll be moving it into a round robin. So I'll be making a four-team pick round robin, and it's going to be creating about six total parlays of two, and I'll be risking $5 on each one of those. So I'll be risking a total of $30 on this UEFA pick. And once again, that pick is Chelsea to cover a spread of minus one and a half, Juventus, Manchester United, and Ajax all to just straight up win. And now just a real quick reminder, because I did give out these picks today, which for me is Friday, February 18th. These games aren't going to be played for about five to six days. So what this means is the lines are probably and most definitely going to change by the time I insert this bet slip. So if for some reason I come later on this podcast and tell you I chose Chelsea's line of minus two and a half, that's just because by the time I placed the bet, the line moved. And you're only ever going to find out these line movements if you follow my Twitter feed because I'll be posting the accurate bet slips there. 
Now, I could make this bet slip right now, but I'd rather wait until the day of because of these line changes. Typically, the lines, in my opinion, are the best right before the games, or at least those are the most accurate lines. There are people out there in the betting world that try and scalp, so what that means is they try and figure out if a line's going to move up and down by the time the game starts. I'm definitely not going to be doing that, so I hope you can just bear with me when I make picks that are a week out. And if the line changes drastically by then, well I'll apologize for not knowing the future, and that's about it. And because I am going to be trialing and erroring with this whole week long bet slips, I figured why not make picks that are literally a week from today and 6 days from today. Because the NBA action is going to be resuming on February 24th. So right now we have zero NBA action aside from just the NBA All-Star game that's going to be happening on Sunday until the 24th. So what am I going to be doing the second that NBA action hits? Well, I decided to make a bet slip, a round robin bet slip, for those Thursday matchups on all of the favorites. So on February 24th, when the NBA resumes, I'll be looking at the betting odds for all 7 games that are being played on that day, and I'll be picking only the favorites. Now, if for some reason there's a pick game, I'll be choosing the home team since I'm trying to choose favorites. And this is just one of those bet slips that you really won't have any idea what it is unless you follow the Twitter feed or wait until my next episode on Friday, which I will post because I'm not planning on taking any more week-long, two-week-long journeys, hiatuses. But if you'll want to keep up in real time, then you'll just have to follow my Twitter feed when I make my bet picks. If not, you can just wait until I recap my bet picks here because I'll definitely let you know what the spread is by the time I recap it. And real quick, if I didn't really make it obvious what I'll be doing for that bet slip, is I'll be choosing the favorites, and since it's making a 17 pick round robin, I'm going to be putting $2 on every parlay it creates. Now I know off the top of my head, because I'm just a degenerate, it's going to be creating 21 total parlays. So since I'm risking $2 on 21 total parlays off of those 7 picks, it's going to be risking 42 total dollars on this bet slip. And come Thursday before all the games are played, you'll be able to see what the bet slip looks like on my Twitter feed, and if you don't want to, look on it or even create a Twitter to follow me, because trust me, I only created a Twitter ever for a professor online, and then eventually I got stuck with it. So, if you don't have a Twitter, do yourself a favor and keep it that way. Now for those of you that do, if you're following my podcast, and you're definitely keeping in tune with my sports picks, and you like betting the way I bet, I definitely recommend you follow it. And before I let all of you degenerates go, I've got one more bet slip. I know, I know. It's just that now that I've got a whole week to fit all these bet slips in, I gotta try and figure out how to space it out so I can actually still bet enough money to, you know, make enough money. So what I've decided to do is a week from now, I've looked at the NBA slate and it's really, really tough to figure out, you know, what's gonna happen a week from now. But, you know, just off of gut feeling and looking at a screen, I really like the Sixers, Suns, and Heat matchups. I can't tell you any analysis because I just looked at logos and stuff, but off the top of my gut, I just feel like the Sixers, Suns, and Heat are going to find a way to win, or win at least to cover whatever their spreads are. So what I'll be doing is, just because it's so far out in the future, I don't want to make a huge risk bet on this, I'll be making a $10 risk bet on this three-team pick parlay, and I'll be choosing the Sixers, Suns, and Heat 
Now, I'll be choosing their spreads if they're favorites. If for some reason they're underdogs, most likely there's injury stuff associated with it, but I'll still pick the teams because I gotta be transparent with it. So the Sixers, Suns, and Heat will be picked and all of their spreads will be chosen unless for some dumb reason or a real reason like an injury, they're an underdog. Then I'll be picking the money line. So I'll be risking 10 total dollars on that three-team pick parlay, which is happening a week from now, and we'll just see how it goes. So for this upcoming week, at least in the betting segment, I'm going to be risking about 194 total dollars. I've got $30 risked in those three-team pick parlays for the soccer league happening this upcoming weekend. I have the $42 risked of the round-robin bet slip I have in the same soccer leagues. I have my team LeBron to win by at least six points, or I guess cover a minus five and a half spread, and I'm putting $50, 5-0 risked on that. Then the next set of matchups that will be happening in order will be the UEFA Champions League, which is next week on Tuesday and Wednesday. And I have Chelsea to cover a spread of minus one and a half, Juventus to get a win, Manchester United to get an upset win at home, and then Ajax to just get a win as well. This I'm going to be putting in a 14 pick round robin slate, and I'll be risking $5 on every parlay it creates of two. So this brings my total to $30 risk for that UEFA Champions League. And then I finally finish it off with my welcome back to the NBA moment where I choose all the favorites the very first night that NBA action is back after the All-Star break. And then just to make things spicy to see if I can really make some solid bet picks a week from here, I've decided to make a three-team pick parlay of the Sixers, Suns, and Heat all to cover their spreads. And the only reason I would pick one of those teams' money line is if for some reason they're an underdog because of maybe an injury or something that I just can't see happening in a week out. And I didn't say this at the very beginning, but congrats to the Los Angeles Rams for winning Super Bowl 56. Definitely went against my bets, but congrats to them because they went all in. They put their chips all in the center and they got the Super Bowl they deserve this year. So to the city of LA and all those fans that we all saw at the parade, and there's probably many more in St. Louis if we're being honest, congrats to the Super Bowl you all deserve. I'm also a little bit sad because now we can't bet on the NFL, and I honestly am going to tell you right now that I'm primarily going to be betting on basketball and soccer. So if you like any other sports, sorry, until I have enough capital or feel comfortable with it, I'm not going to put my money there. And now whether you decide to fade or follow my picks, I hope that if you put the time in just to listen to this podcast, you find a way to make some money. So until next time, all my degenerates and regular people, ape out.
It's a hobby for now, but I promise one day it won't be.